Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Today, it's a special episode. We have Brittany Young from The Pet Girl on Zoom. And of course, my brother Luke is joining us today. How are we doing, everyone? Good. Thank you so much for having me on. Super excited to get into it tonight. I can't wait. It's going to be good. Thanks for, thanks for you know giving us your Monday evening. I'm sure you've got better things to do than chat to us, but here you are. Well, I, we're having a little bit of a chat today and we do want to um, get into too much detail because there's so much to talk about. But, you know, it's been a couple of hectic, has been like about two months now of, of craziness. Um, but before we get into it, I know that you, you're that it's, it's so heavy. I think what's most appropriate is we should get into um, you're the owner of the pet girl and you also have that dog school. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do, you know, and the dogs that you have. And then we can get into the heavy stuff after. Yeah, cool. So I started, uh, I think most people know that have heard me either speak before. I uh, started out as a Queensland police officer um, and I left the Queensland police force to pursue uh, pet food manufacturing um, with my husband. We started a business together. And then from there, I got into dog training just because I was simply interested in how the food was affecting behaviour. So I went along, did my NDTF. I was kind of doing it at the same time. Um, and then next thing you know, the dog manufacturing business didn't really pan out how we wanted to, but in all the wrong ways. So it was almost too good too soon and we couldn't scale and it was really overwhelming. Oh, so no. I know. So we called it um, and it ended up being great because I became a dog trainer. Um, and then, yeah, so that's how the pet girl was started. Um, and then from there, I did certifications in canine strength and conditioning uh, and also uh, like dietary stuff and nutrition. So super passionate about that. And what did then, you say before about, about um, what did you call it? Heavy, heavy pulling? Uh, sorry, say? canine strength and conditioning. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. What is yeah, that? so canine strength and conditioning, essentially think of it like the gym but for dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of dogs that are participating in dog sports, uh, dogs that have high um, requirements like high um, physical demands on their body, you know, even just so much as having a herding breed who goes 100 million miles per hour uh, when they get active, uh, just being able to protect their joints uh, and protect their bodies and preserve them a little bit more. Uh, So I guess I kind of have a lot of invested interest in longevity for dogs and I guess all animals kind of, but um, like longevity specifically for dogs and not just longevity for mind, but longevity for body as well. And so that's where nutrition and strength and conditioning kind of fall into that. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, working on core strength um, when you got dogs that I uh, train. I have had a big break now since COVID, but I used to train in agility uh, and um, having my dog physically prepared for that is really important if I'm asking them to do some pretty extreme stuff. Uh, that's where canine strength and conditioning kind of comes in. So That's yeah. awesome. Well, we both have dogs that go a million miles an hour, and I was actually thinking about it the other day because um, – you know, I, I was thinking about how much Chili's running and going for the ball, being agile, and I'm not doing anything to really strengthen that. And well, if you can give me the a number one thing that I could do, what what would be something that you would give as advice for that? He's a year uh, and a half old. Uh, I would look at a static stand with mm-hmm. good posture. So a lot of people don't realize their dogs actually don't have the core strength to be able to maintain a static stand without moving. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, that's that is something that um that I find particularly interesting. What you should be aiming for any sport dog should be aiming for a minimum of 30 seconds. Um, that's a long time if you think about it. But 
when we think about the kind of training that we do with our dogs, a lot of people yeah. have default sitters. Their dogs sit as a default. And so that static stand is really challenging. But in terms of like canine strength and conditioning, there's so many amazing like online Facebook groups. Uh, there's uh, the canine conditioning coach is a really great they do, um, she's got like a really, really great online uh, courses that you can do or like subscription that you can sign up to. And they do just really showing about how treat placement and how getting your dog to be calm and methodical. Um, and I think that, to be honest, I really truly believe that conditioning has a huge role in canine reactivity, believe it or not. Mm, like for the impulse um, control sort of stuff, right? Impulse control, but also working with your dog for small, mm. really achievable, manageable uh, problems. Like you're you're working through struggles that are really small, but you're doing it together, and that you've got to work it out together because it's, it's and they're small movements, right? And they're not like big. Let's do this big thing and and being in this ac- active state of mind, but it's yeah. very. Yeah, that, and it'll be, like, frustrating for everybody, so being it's calm. Frustrating wow, yeah, and totally. Slow, and you've got to do it slow, and it's really methodical. And just especially with our herding breeds, that has been a real game changer um, for a lot of herding breeds mm-hmm. when they start doing canine conditioning. It just changes the way that they view the world. So, yeah, so that's and what the, about is, the, is the stand almost like uh, – is that like – the the dog equivalent of like a plank now that I think about it? Is I would get, yeah, yeah, somewhat, yeah, definitely. So just being able to have that core strength. Um, the other thing too to really think about is how much non-awareness or unawareness our dogs have of their rear end. So I put a lot of emphasis on my dog's rear end and making sure that she has um, all my dogs, but making sure that they have rear end awareness and they know where they're legs are because they spend they have about 70 percent of weight on their front and about 30 percent on their back so if you think about it there's a lot of pressure being put on those joints at the front so we really want to make sure that our dogs have that rear end awareness especially if they're sliding around chasing balls and all those i was going to ask you know like when like a kelpie would like to stand there and you'd be standing waiting for the ball that wouldn't be the same and that was my question rather than the static stand because they're leaning forward in, while they're waiting for you to throw the ball, for example, so you could like hold that for ten seconds. But I guess he's in a he's like in a shoulder stand rather than a stand like a, a trained yeah. static stand. Interesting, cool. So you think about where the muscles are being used. So I'd say in the stalk, like where that would be activating that that stalk sort of mode sure. in the pro drive sequence. Like that I would say they're putting. They're crouching. There's a lot of shoulders and um, a lot of shoulder in there. When you're talking about an active static stand, you're talking about having a nice flat back, Mm. like top line, uh, and making sure that you're extended outwards and the dog is utilising their core. The other thing too is how many dogs are actually thinking about their body when they're in that stalk? Not a lot. I guess I was thinking Yeah, I was looking at your Facebook and you had dogs on those like medicine, those half medicine ball things. And that's just because it's challenging, but would you use that for part of the strength and conditioning? Uh, Yes, Yes, I think that's advanced level stuff. So you'd want to work really everything that you want to do needs to be done on the flat first. And then uh, I look at doing a platform and then uh, unstable surfaces that have a bit of movement. And then obviously that's when you get into your cool stuff, like your peanuts and all that kind of stuff. That's so cool. Anyway, we digressed. Continue with telling us what you do. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, that's the conditioning sort of aspect of that. Um, and then the nutrition aspect, uh, myself and Sasha Packer from The Balanced Canine uh, run a fresh food feeding group that we started, I think, three and a bit years ago now. And there's uh, over 75,000 members in that group. And it's just the two of us that admin that group. So that's huge. That was, that's been a huge, I guess, um, uh, dint or impact in the fresh food feeding space. That's really cool. Sure, um, awesome. And then, yeah, and then we, myself and my best friend, Julia Terry, we started that dog school on the Gold Coast because we were unsatisfied with all the puppy schools that were available. Um, and it's gone from being just a puppy school run at a vet clinic and whatnot to a uh, full-scale operation with six classes on a Saturday and then two other classes through the week um yeah. and yeah we've got 
I know, yeah, it's pretty, it's grown so much in like three years or something like that. And we offer seminars and workshops and therapy dogs. So, yeah. You've done it all. You've done it all. Yes, I'm tired. Can you see? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess that gives everybody a bit of um, understanding that you obviously care and love dogs and obviously you're well um, qualified in many different areas with lots of experience and and you have a good way of, of talking about it. Can you fill us in with what's happened over the last couple of months? We tried talking about it the other time um, in one of our episodes and we're like, bah, you know, um, talking shit and not really making much sense. So please fill us in a little bit because I think it's really important that we raise awareness as not many people that listen to our show uh, would be aware of what, what's been happening up in Queensland. Yeah, for sure. So how it actually all started was I was sitting at my computer. Oh, not even my computer. I was on my phone on Mother's Day, May, uh, and somebody sent me a link to Anastasia Palaszczuk, who's the Queensland Premier's uh, Facebook page. And on that Facebook page, she had this big giant picture of a prong collar and it's like, we will ban them, these prong collars, they're evil. Um, And it attracted a lot of media attention and it was honestly the first time we had ever heard that the prong collar would be banned. So as dog trainers, we did a mad rush and we went, um, you know, like panic mode and we all were like chickens with our heads cut off and everyone was panicking and trying to work out what had happened. Um, and it was there that uh, myself and Kirsty Reed, who's my other um, co-person in all of this, she's amazing. She's from Leading Canine and the Good Dog Project. Uh, Kirsty and I, we've, we've been friends before, but we were like, hey, we really need like what is missing is all these people just don't know how to have a voice. And we just need everyone to like herd the cats. And so essentially that's what we started to do. We just started to give people information about how they can uh, make submissions and whatnot, and then we kind of formed um, what we called Dog Training Queensland, which was just, uh, I guess, an organisation of the moment to help get the information out there. Um, But in terms of like an actual timeline of what actually happened, so to put in perspective, so in April 2021, the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries, they uh, started a review of the Animal Care and Protection Act. So that what hasn't prompted been that in the first place, though? Like what, you know, was that just like, oh, it's just been a while, we'll just, we'll just do it or what happened? Yeah, so it's been it's been like 20 years. Um, I think 20 years is what it's been. But, um, yeah, well, 2000 and, 2001, so, yeah, 20 mm-hmm. years. Um, and That's crazy. Well, wow. yeah, 2001 so is 20 years ago. <laughs> I know. I know that's so scary. Um, so what prompted that, what we think prompted that was that the RSPCA um, basically essentially were kind of audited some, like in short terms, in easy terms, uh, and there were some recommendations that came out of that. That's where we think it came from, but it also comes from the fact that, you know, we haven't reviewed this legislation for 20 years. There's obviously changes to animal welfare that need to be addressed. Uh, And so I guess it was kind of due for that to happen. Uh, So that's where that kind of got started. It's also probably social pressure, political pressure, like there's lots of other things going on that we, you know, are outside our scope as a public person uh, to know. So, yeah, so the, the, they they started looking into it and they created um, uh, like a survey. So they were encouraged, people were able to uh, create submissions and, uh, and do a survey. So that the period of consultation was between April and May. So once they finished that, then what happened was they generated an outcomes report. So in the outcomes report, they just basically had what they found the community wanted changed about the amendments, uh, sorry, to, to the uh, Animal Care and Protection Act, and they, they, you know, they put forward these new amendments. Now, this is where it kind of gets a bit messy, and this is where it's a bit like, whoa, hang on a minute, what happened? So in that original document, we there was no information about prong collars in there. So the original discussion paper, there were no nowhere was there any information about dog training or dog training tools. That wasn't mentioned at all. Um, and so, look to be honest, 
as dog trainers, like this, uh, these amendments came up on our radar back then, but because there was no mention of dog training tools and there was nothing that was relevant to us, kind of all just like over the head, that's fine. Like nothing affects us in that amendment. Uh, and then it wasn't until the outcomes report came out that we've got some things that, you know, we now need to be aware of. And that was that there were three, um, three, e-petitions that were currently held within Parliament at that time. And those three e-petitions were ban the use of shock collars on dogs, prohibit the use of choke collars in Queensland, and illegal to import, prohibit the use of prong collars in Queensland. Now, in the outcomes report, they included those three e-petitions and were like, yep, we we want to ban prong collars um, based on these e-petitions. But nobody had a chance to say, hey, that's not okay. We don't. We use prong collars. We don't want that to happen. So that's where it's kind of all gotten really messy. And then the first, so that was two thousand and one. And then the first we're hearing about a prong collar ban is in uh, like on the eighth of May or whatever it was when the premier announced it. So blindsided is a bit of the word that I feel like is best used in this situation. And I guess what one of the biggest issues is that. No one was able to appeal it, or like there wasn't a there wasn't able for a public vote. Is that what one of the issues were was? Well, so I'll, this is where it all kind of gets a bit messy because the original discussion didn't involve prong collars. So how were we able to contribute to the original discussion? Like we yeah. weren't able to contribute to it. So the only time that we've had an ability to discuss it is when it's already being drafted as a bill and we were able to submit submissions, like we were able to put forward submissions. But we had like, I think it was like a three-week period to get all this together and get on with it, whereas the discussion process went for, you know, a couple of months and then they, you know, um, assessed all that information and made the outcomes report and so on and so forth. So I think... As a training community, we really didn't have the opportune time or moment to really go, hey, this actually really affects us, um, just because it wasn't open for discussion back then. That's it. Sure. That's pretty much. And you want to share with the listeners how that's going to affect your day-to-day or, um, you know, working with dogs, the fact that you're taking prong collars away so we can be humane to animals, however, removing the option for people that are experienced and have, you know, a, a, a clear knowledge and good intention using the tool, how is that going to affect dogs from here on out, in, in your opinion? Firstly, I think it's really important to acknowledge that the evidence that they're using uh, to ban the prong collars is factually incorrect. The science that they're referencing does not contain any information specifically pertaining to a prong collar and how they're wording their uh, like the explanatory notes and how what they believe is uh, why the prong collar should be banned are not it's not correct uh, and that's what we set out to try and set the record straight uh, and in the report that got generated uh, from the committee which has just been finalized or just submitted I guess um, uh, on Friday the first that report there is a statement of reservation from half of the committee basically saying like this is unsubstantiated like where did this come from so in terms of how it's going to affect business from day to day I mean I have a small handful of clients that are uh, utilizing prong collars and I think um, not all clients obviously it's not a one tool fits all I it's a specific tool used for specific reasons um, it just limits the availability, I guess, to to for us to use anything and everything to help a dog. Um, and I think all dogs are different. They don't learn the same way. Uh, and I found that in all the instances that I've utilised a prong collar, um, the dogs have benefited astronomically from the precise communication that was able to be delivered. Um, and it's, it's interesting because when we spoke about prong collars, the committee were... So, like, I guess, interested in hearing, like, so this isn't just a punishment 
facing? I'm like, no, it's not. It's the same way that someone puts pressure on your dog when you wear a halty and the dog must, like the dog has to stay in a particular position. That leash pressure that's going through the halty is the same pressure that's felt on the prong collar. It's just evenly distributed around the dog's neck. Um, and it's clearer. It's more precise. And I find a lot of dogs and find it. Yeah, like mm. less aversive than mm-hmm. than that. So it's just interesting. I guess uh, it's so hard to not be a negative Nancy, and this is something that we sort of spoke about today, is because it really highlighted the fact that we've put the evidence forward and we've shown them that, hey, us professionals that are qualified uh, that are qualified in using these tools and are utilising these tools, we have experience and we're not using them incorrectly. And and cherry on the cake for all that, I contacted the RSPCA and the RSPCA got back to me and I was interested in how many cases of misuse they had relating to not just prong collars but any tool. And guess what? Guess what the number was since 2006 or as far as that we could get back? Zero. No prosecution matters relating to tool use, to over misuse at all. So not a single case had been prosecuted, not a single one. So how can we argue that it's a cruel, humane tool when the RSPCA haven't even prosecuted anyone? They're responsible for it. How how have they not prosecuted anyone? Oh my goodness! It gets very, very, very messy. Well, look, we don't want to have to harp. We we know well. Share the outcome with everybody. I don't think we've spoken about that, that the outcome is. So the outcome is uh, the committee, basically how the system works or how it works is that um, when this, for the bill to go through, it goes to a committee. They then ask for submissions from the community and stakeholders, key community stakeholders, which is what um, was done. Then there's a public hearing, which Kirsty and myself attended. Um, we also submitted so much stuff um, absent of the, the public hearing, like outside of the public hearing, like a brief of evidence, all these things. They formed together a uh, like a written report and then that report is goes back to the minister that created the amendments and that's recommendations about what they should do for the bill. So on Friday, the recommendations from the um, from the Labor members of the committee were that um, that this bill should go ahead and they support they support the banning of the prong collar. However, in those statements of reservations um, from the LNP members and also the Cata party um, basically just said, look, we don't support this at all. Um, and we've listened to the evidence. It's it's unsubstantiated, and we we saw a prong collar in use in the public hearing. Um, and yeah, we don't agree with it. Okay. So now, now it goes back to the minister. The minister, um, I'm not too knowledgeable about this. Like, as in the actual parliamentary process, I might butcher this a little bit. But basically, it goes back to the minister. They, um, you know, draft the, the bill up and then essentially, skipping a few steps, but essentially it gets voted in Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is where it gets like, this is what we were talking about today. So from a statistical point of view, people think, oh, it gets voted on. Everyone gets a chance, right? Well, this is where it kind of goes a bit pear-shaped. So in our current um, Legislative Assembly, uh, we have 52 Labor members, 34 LNP members, three Catters Australian Party, two Greens, one One Nation and one Independent. So Labor holds majority vote, which means where this has come from essentially, which means that in order for this to be flipped, we'd have to have so many people on our side voting against the bill in Parliament. There you wow. go. Well, obviously, very disappointing um, to you know from a legislative kind of perspective because none of these people train dogs, none of these people get their hands on dogs. Most of these people, don't even will never even be affected by this decision. But the truth is, you know, um, all right, some people may be opposed to the prong collar, no matter what anybody says. But then we can then start talking about. Are we going to ban more tools? Are, are we looking at banning the, the slip lead, the martingale collar, the flat collar? 
Are we going to go to a place where only harnesses are uh, are going to be available to us? Do you think that could be a potential future or, or is that probably being too extreme? Well, no, not at all, because one of the amendments is the prong collar was one prohibited device and the other prohibited device was any device uh, prescribed by regulation, meaning, and the examples that they used were halties, harnesses, muzzles, collars, check or choke chains or check chains or whatever. So if you think about it, like what they've done is they've left it so vague and open so that when they go to add any amendments at any like any regulation at any time, they can just add things as they want to add things. Mm. Um, it still has to get voted on and all that kind of thing, but it just it's hard to change an act. It's, so it's where obvious. does this go? Where are we going? Yeah, I guess now e collars are still e collars are still legal in Queensland, right? Yeah, for now. <laughs> That's what for I mean. Now. So it seems it just from an outsider, like when I say I was in, I'm not a Queenslander, it seems so strange that they've gone after the prong collar first. Like this is to me, I and I'm speaking from my personal opinion now. Um, I believe that this is a political move. This is a political move. I even have in the statement of reservations, I have um, let me just get this up here because this is really interesting. So in the statements of reservations, it said, um, uh, it says, in, and this is by the LNP party said this, and this is the LNP members of the committee. They said, in our view, the ban was a last-minute inclusion after somebody contacted the Premier via Facebook and she agreed that they should be banned. We hold the view that legislating a ban is an overreach and any ban, banned collars of any sort should be by regulation. We have, uh, And then they go into... What they should do. So one, 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 or a handful of people contacting the premier is now enough to get a law change with no, like, no due legal process. It seems kind of crazy. I think let's be real. The prong collar. It's all about the optics. It's about. Mm. It's when you think of from a political point of view, it looks great. Like let's like prong collars look like medieval torture devices. We know this. Um, we, you know, the comments that people that they say and that you get from a prong collar um, is the big issue. And that came up in the in the committee public hearing. They said, you know, how do we get around the optics? And I said, we don't. We can't. Like, yeah. what are we meant to do? Well, we can't put fluff on it. Like, it's. It just, it is what it is, but. It's an easy target, right? That's the point. It's an easy target and I think it gets a lot of emotions. And if you yep. go back to the original post, the comments made on that, people were saying, I don't even know what that is, but ban it. It looks yeah. horrific. It's like. For sure. So random. Like, but where's this going to leave us? I, this is the start. I, this is the start. And Tasmania following suit, I wouldn't be surprised if. It, I guess it starts hitting state by state because mm. the RSPCA are after a national approach. It makes sense to have a national approach. Like, realistically, it does. It's silly that it's going to be banned here and then I can go to New South Wales. Like, literally over the border. Like, I could drive, like, 45 minutes and I'm over the border and I can use it again. Like, Yeah, how, really how, does, how is it? If it's truly cruel, how can it be cruel here but not there? Like we all that's know, right. yeah. Exactly. If I throw a rock at somebody, that's kind of illegal everywhere because that's like yeah assault all the time. But that's you know, right. it's just it's it's as ridiculous as saying we should definitely ban electric drills because they look like guns. It's as ridiculous as what it is, you know. Um, but I I know we're talking about dogs and we're talking about a metal device that looks prongy and stabby and all that sort of stuff. I get it. And stabby. we've talked and we've talked many times about about um prong collars and, and our views about them. And and I think that they have literally, I know for a fact that they have literally saved dogs' lives. We know that we can get into the we can make a whole bloody episode about it and we probably will have to after this. But um but the point is is that we we allow one thing and then more things start to roll. My prediction, and I hope I'm wrong, but I want to talk about this and because I'm on the fence, like I can see both perspectives is we get rid of all the heavy, heavy training devices for the heavier, stronger, more powerful breeds. We can't control these heavier breeds. Hence, we go down this breed-specific legislation talking about, well, then maybe we should just ban all the powerful breeds. Why should anybody have a big dog? That was served for a traditional purpose 
and now we don't need that anymore. And if we don't have any tools to control them, well, then that, there's probably some truth in that. And then we talk about, well, then should we, how do we educate the people or how do we restrict or even create some sort of regulation within it? But then this becomes a whole nother jumble of, of craziness because how do we manage through all of that? And by the end of it, in 30 years' time, is it, will it be true that we can only own dogs from 20 kilos and under? Um, and is that even something that we should even consider being in, in a city environment? And this become a big topic, but what well, do you they, guys reckon? They actually said in, I think it was in one of the reports, it's in, anybody can access these reports, by the way, if you just jump on the committee page and then it's like uh, other documents, it's like one of the tabs. So the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries, I believe, said something along the lines of it has to be begged to question that if you can't, if you can't handle the dog, then and it can't be retrained using more humane methods, then it should be euthanized. Hmm. Then it needs to be humanely euthanized. And like I look at my clients, a lot of the clients that I have that have power weight disparities. You know, and I think to myself, then that's when we get down this slippery slope and we do ask these questions like, should those people, if they can't have those dogs, they can't effectively control those dogs, should they have those dogs? And it's just a big, fat, slippery slope into this thing of going, well, we're not. But it's not always true, though, because if I had an American Staffy I was looking after and I had to walk him humanely for the next five nights, I may put the prong collar on him and walk him nicely. He gets more walks. He gets less pressure. We get more communication. The dog has a has a good life. It's not because I can't control him on a slip leader or a Martin Gallup. Probably could. But then, you know, if like and, – and we could get the dog out without anything dramatic happening, but we may be using the wrong tool for the wrong situation. You know, I've got a client who's in her 60s or late 50s probably – and she's got a working line Labrador. The guy's awesome, but he's just strong, so strong. And the prong collar allows her to walk her dog. She walks her dog like every day where before she couldn't. So it's not like we're talking big, powerful breeds like frothing kind of Dobermans that are evil, like we can't control them. We're just talking about strong dogs. Not We're not talking about naughty dogs. Naughty dogs don't need prong collars. Strong dogs need prong collars in certain circumstances. It's the other thing too that is what we need to really acknowledge is that they're going to create a ban, right? So my question is, is what happens to all the people that are using prong collars? Mm, what are they just going exactly. to go through their prong collar in the bin? What happens to those? And kill their dogs? dog. And then not only that, yeah, and then not only that, but they're going to, there's going to be, there will definitely be um, like an underground thing going on. Like what about those mm. people that, uh, that saw this and go, oh, maybe a prong collar would be great. Like all these Trainers are talking about how great it is with powerful dogs. Hey, I'm going to go get a prong collar. I'm going to go find one because surely mm. you can find anything anywhere. And then they go, well, I can't contact a trainer. I, yep. I don't want to contact a trainer because it's illegal. I don't want to get in trouble. So then they just start Bang using this tool underground and then yep. like not literally underground, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and then it's like this underbelly prong collar thing going on. Like, <laughs> Well, like it, it would be like, you know, a mafia prohibition, right? We'll be like yeah, right. pretend, pretending well, bans to like on anything create a black market. <laughs> That's yeah, you know that's what I mean, right. it's like an instant black market, right? And it's like, like you I said, know. all these people I- that already have prong collars, what are they going to do? They're just going to, they're going to mm. like have an amnesty and just put them all in the bin. Like, how does that work? And then what happens to those dogs that are being managed with prong collars? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. right. It's um, there's a lot of things that haven't been thought of in this, and I think that. A blanket ban is not necessarily the answer. I don't think that everybody should have access to these tools. I really don't. Yeah, I think that they point. should be used. They should be used under the guidance of professionals. You know, um, you shouldn't be able to just watch an online course and off you go. Because the reason, like, I mean, reality is, is that you can misuse anything. But then in that, you can misuse anything. You know, like I can't tell you. I walk down like Burley Esplanade, and um, which is a popular like beach. Uh, boardwalk type thing and I can't tell you how many number one fat dogs are limping and being walked like excessively or running now you can't tell me that that is like that is so inhumane that dog is in pain yeah and it's 
it's over, like it's abused through food, right? And then not only that, but then I see how many dogs I see being misused, like having a a flat collar that they're just mm-hmm. choking themselves in or even a front harness where they're pulling into it so hard they're changing the way the dog moves like their gait or a halty where the dog's literally getting its head yanked to the side every five seconds. Like it just seems like it's been cherry-picked, to be well, honest. Well, it's like it's if I'm doing like, so, for example, if I've got anywhere where I've got like a stall and, you know, like I'm doing a talk at like a fair or festival or whatever and, at first, it was like I put all the products I sell. It's like you got to sell your products, but then while I'm there, I'm like, okay, hold on, like I'll sell this to you, but um, you know, the goal is like got to be up high and you got to like make sure the rings don't touch. And oh, when you do that, you got to do this. I'm like, shit, I, I got to like train you how to t- how to use this. I probably shouldn't be selling this right now. And that's where you feel super conflicted. I when I do any of it, I've got a couple of long leads and my cards because it's like. I don't. I have. I still should even teach you how to use the long lead, but at least the long lead is kind of a. If you have a little bit of common sense, you got it sorted. But the martingale collar is not obvious. A slip lead is not obvious. So there's lots of learning and teaching involved. And anyone that would contact me, hey, can you get a prong collar? My dog needs one. I'm like, well, let's do a training session. See if it's even. Um, if your dog even if it's even necessary to train your dog, where it could be as simple as making a few adjustments of what you're doing already. So, you know, it's not like, oh my God, the holy grail of dog training. Now we can't ever train a dog because we don't have a prong collar. It's just that it poses the two things. You're restricting us and restricting us on no no good factual basis, which is very frustrating for us. But again, mm. we're dog trainers and we know how to use it. There'd be a whole bunch of other dog trainers that don't use it and they'll be fully against us. So it is a very conflicting well- thing. The other thing, too, is to think about the scope of the opposition, right? So I think of, like, a lot of the people that I see that are um, being really loud, uh, I guess having a lot of noise in the industry that are against the use of a prong collar, right? Um, And you look at what they do. They run puppy classes. Like, Mm -hmm. when is a prong collar ever, ever going to be appropriate in a puppy class? Or they run, like, basic agility or or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in that instance, I'd go, well, no, I wouldn't use a prong collar. Like there's no scope for that there. Yeah, yeah. And so it kind of, it's like these people aren't dealing with these dogs that we're dealing with, you know? And I think and the other thing too is that I guess what really got highlighted is that people think that when you when we're putting on prong collars, we're like looking at a dog and going, yeah, first time I've met you, prong collar goes on. Like, I couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, like totally. I, when I put a prong collar on a dog, I know so much about that dog. I know so much about the handler. I know what motivates the dog. I've got, you know, markers installed. And like, a relationship like, um, as well. Relationship. Yep. I've worked through the layered stress model with the dog. I've assessed mm-hmm. like their physiological health, their lifestyle, their biological fulfillment, their clarity, their leash. They're everything, like mm-hmm. before I've even put the prong collar on. So yeah. I guess that's the other thing that's really frustrating is it's just such a, oh, gosh, it's so tainted, isn't it? It's just a, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. 100%, 100%. Well, where do you think moving forward from here? I guess it would be business as usual and we just got to get more creative with, with everything else that we've got, right? Like, you know, we hey, can... The- Look how much effort you've put into, you've literally like climbed the legislative ladder and you've almost become a whole nother person in the last couple of months learning about, about all of that very, um, very complicated stuff. And, you know, they're they're big beasts that we're having to try to fight. And at the end of the day, it's not like, all right, we lose and that's it. We're just going to have a cry and and everything's over, you know, got to keep moving forward, but it's a big shame. And, you know, it's, um, it's a, it's a big loss for sure. What is the biggest thing you've learned from all of this, you reckon? Oh, I was saying this today, how important it is to have understanding of politics and how to vote because I didn't understand how to vote and I'm like, I don't care. I'm a dog trainer. These people don't affect me. They affect you. What we're looking at now is because a lot of people don't understand how to vote, they don't understand how many seats a particular party has in the House, and then we're stuck in this shit show of a position where there's, like, it's virtually by, unless there's a divine miracle that comes down on us, 
it is going to be one very, very, very not likely win. Like it's just, it just, we need to learn our political system because this is, these are the people that are making decisions for our future. Um, and I've learned that a lot over the last two years, but more specifically this. The other thing too, real big positive that to take away is like how cool is it to create something or have something where we actually for once are all united like the amount of support that has come from this not just by everyone doing you know submissions and stuff but like just people coming together like Kirsty and like she's been amazing through this whole process I've just I couldn't have had a better partner in crime to work on this with and then you know Jason Furman just comes out with the goods like he's just so just has these like gems that he comes out with all these people that he puts us in contact with and then yes. you know Marsha Davey and then you got like um you know Pat and Glenn jumping on their podcast and just giving us just huge support and then everyone in like the balance symposium and all the rest of it so that's the positive to take away is that for once we were all connected and we were united and we grouped together and we I think were somewhat of a force to be reckoned with um but hopefully next time when something else comes up we are ready I guess we're ready it is cool it is cool that everyone has um banded together unfortunately it is still the old tale of you know our side of the training community versus the other side Right. And, and it'll be and like so, that forever. Yeah. That's always yeah. going to be that way. And the problem as well is like, you know, your average Joe Blow doesn't know or care to know the difference between like a balanced trainer who, who actually does deal with dogs like this and who does po- proper, you know, um, behavior modification versus like what you were saying earlier, Brittany, which is like people who are, just doing a very, very, very narrow scope of training, whether that's puppy schools or the kind of training that never would actually require a prong collar and to, you know, you know, everyday, you know, dog owners, they may not actually understand the difference. Right. And they just hear, Oh, so dog, there are dog trainers who are opposed to this. So then it must be, it must be like, we should definitely ban it. Cause even the dog trainers don't want it. It's like, yeah, but yeah, but it's not all the dog trainers because the dog trainers that want to ban are not the ones who actually need to use it. So if they need so, to use yeah. it, they wouldn't think that way. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and that's right. And it's just like this ever, it's just these big B and it's big. Like it's just so much bigger than this. Like, and that is the thing. There are a lot of things that got highlighted. Number one, the need for a peak body representation nobody came to a group of dog trainers and were like, hey, we're about to do these amendments. What do you think? Because guess what? Who do they come to? It's not like they're going to knock on my door. They don't know who I am. Hopefully now maybe we've put some sort of energy into this. Well, you're on the show, so everyone's going to know you now. Everyone's (laughs) going to know who I am now. That's right. Um, That's right. Look, I think it, yeah, it banded it. It Okay, so how interesting was it throughout lockdown here, everyone – you banded together to the ones that lived within five kilometers of you. And within a month or so, it was yeah. like, this could be for ages. We were just like, you got sorted, I'm sorted. And like, we, it's in our nature to band together when there's a common adversity, right? And what's a shame is that, of course, things go back to normal. And it's like, oh, that like n- that emergency that we should be together is gone. And now we, we kind of get distracted and we're in a world of information overload. N- and nobody gives a shit about anything unless it affects them. You know, and that until and so people's true. memories are short. That's the other thing. So, like, but but a, but a parliamentary decision lasts forever, and it's not like mm. with every law they put in that they take another one out. They just keep no. piling more rules on. It's like, what the fuck? That makes no sense. And um, in my opinion, anyway, not that I know much about that, but it, it it's frustrating. But I think one thing that can be moved forward is not like what happened in lockdown. Is that how about we continue to stick together and you know and communicate on a level that we can be operating and working together because we all have a common goal which is helping people help their dogs and if there's people that are trying to do the same thing but we'll take everything that means much to our way of communicating with dogs if you take all of that away it's not like 
it, it's just it becomes really unfair, it becomes emotional, it becomes less factual, and it's um it's 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 crazy to watch it unfold. And you're like, oh yeah, it will happen probably one day. And now it's like, oh shit, that day is now. In, and and now well, what do we do? I didn't think like you know, do if you only look at if you just look at COVID for a classic example of that, like when it all came out, I remember when like the first couple of cases come out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is hysteria. This is so crazy. It's like, and I was so like, we'll never go in a lockdown. And then I think, and there was an actual point where we were like, yeah, come on, lock us down. We just want to mm. whip off. And then <laughs> next minute, Sydney, gone. New South Wales, gone. You guys gone for ages. You aged like. 20 years in your, how long were you even locked down exactly. for? Like months and months and months. I don't know, for like months, ages. Three or four months. Hey, you, sc- you screwed up, Brittany. Now that you said that, now on Spotify, it's going to have that little blue notification saying that if you want to know anything about COVID, press this button. Oh, no. <laughs> I bet you. Don't we'll see. We'll see. No, 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 no way. We don't edit nothing. This is completely raw every time. Um, well, before we wrap up, let's be more positive. Tell us, why do you love your dogs? And or tell us what dogs you have and, you know, a little bit about them, not heaps. And, um, well, I guess I was going to ask you what job does your dog have, but you kind of at the beginning already answered a lot of that. But tell us a little bit about dogs. Why do you love dogs the most and what makes you do the things that you do um, yeah. in our industry? Yeah, cool. So I've got four dogs. I've got a Border Collie cross called Yogi who will be 10 this year. I've got a Labrador Pepsi who will be nine very soon, a Shetland Sheepdog who will be seven this year, and then I've got my little um, performance line Border Collie Vixen who will, who is three, who's just turned three. Um, so my older dogs, uh, they are just, um, I just do basic stuff with them. My performance dog Vixen is the dog that I put a lot of, like it's the dog I got as a trainer per se, um, and I put a lot of energy into her. So at the moment, the flavour of the month for us is we're really into our conservation detection work. We've just started in conservation type stuff. Um, oh, is that like koalas? Is that I've read about that. No? You have Something literally else? just. You have literally just offended the entire conservation community. They get so cranky because everybody focuses on the koalas and there's oh, so Luke. many other things. Look what you've done. It sounds like, like you've, you've got a PR lost problem. The whole then. Conservation. You got, <laughs> you've lost the whole conservation community. No, so it's, um, yeah, koala scat and stuff like that, but it's also like finding foxes uh, and okay. um, like feral cats and there's some really cool stuff about conservation, you know, like detecting like grass, these endangered grasshoppers are like um, there's a really cool conservation chick uh, that does that kind of stuff. So I'm just starting my journey in the conservation world. I'm massively interested in it. I can't wait to learn more about it. I'm getting some foxtail tomorrow to start putting my dog on, or not tomorrow, this week, to try and start putting my dog on fox odour. Um, so that will be great. Awesome. You know, I heard like so for conservation. Um, Steve Austin had um, his training dog was training dogs um, for Macquarie Island, that place in Antarctica, getting rid of the rabbits because the rabbits are eating the grass. The grass is now going away, which means erosion take makes the island smaller. And it's like, who would have ever thought rabbits would actually change geology? It's crazy. Um, conservation is the most interesting freaking thing. There's one that I were like one of these things I was listening to this podcast and where they were talking about finding whale scat and what they realised from the whale scat, like something about the consistency change. So the dogs go on the boats and find the whale scat like on the boats, like as they're driving around. And so imagine like a dog like indicating like on the water. And did you know this? Dogs can actually find odour underwater. I did not know that. That is such an interesting thing. Yeah, it travels the same way through water as it travels through air. Really weird, hey. That That's is amazing. interesting. So all odor, what's in the ocean, is coming up to the top. That's heavy. Um, I don't really know the logistics of it. I just know that that was really interesting. But what they found from that particular project, I guess, was that the whales' diet had changed, and they're not getting enough of their like to say. I'm just going to butcher it and say Plankton. salmon or whatever. Yeah. And then the salmon was being farmed by humans, and so or like being um like uh, taken by all the humans. So it was slowing the production rate of these particular whales, mm. reproduction rates. So they had to stop particular, like, 
farming of this particular fish to help the whales um, like reproduce more so then that we don't heavy. lose the species. It's so weird. It's so fascinating. I love it. That really is amazing. Cool. Yeah. Tell the people how they can find you and all your worthy causes. Brittany, where can, <laughs> all my things. Where can, yeah. Where can we, where, where, where can the people find you? So you can find me on Facebook um, at my like tag is I am the pet girl. <laughs> and it's um, I am the pet girl is on um, uh, Instagram as well. And then if you want to follow us with that dog school, it's just at that dog school. Um, and then obviously the petgirl.com.au and that dog school.com. So yeah, awesome. that's me. Hey, this is an awesome chat, something a little bit different to what our listeners are uh, used to, but I think it was really, really important, especially when I was, when I heard, is her name Kristen? Kristen? Kirsty. Kirsty. She was yeah. on the Canine Paradigm. That was really informative. Yeah. I shared the crap out of that. I did everything that was asked. Um, and then I thought, want to get um, either of you on. I've been meaning to speak to you for a while because we had a chat like three years ago about doing something. Um, I think you were like, did you start a podcast or you were doing something? No. I started the trainer's couch and then I lived in an area that had really crap reception yeah. um, and I couldn't video, I couldn't do anything with it. But, I, yeah, I wanted to talk to trainers about stuff like this. Just that was like, cool. Yeah. So we made it happen one way or another. Cool. So um, thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, keep doing the good work that you're doing. We thanks, love to hear guys. it. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very Thank welcome. You. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, .com.au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.